0: for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is the financial physician with Lou skatigna The financial physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio.
1: It's also my pleasure to see to it the decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money mad
0: pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money.
1: Your source for straightforward no-nonsense
0: financial advice bring me your money questions because I'm here to help and now here he is the financial physician America's money doctor Lou Scatigna. greetings my friends how are you thanks for taking time out of your day to join us for more for a midweek podcast and uh, I'm enjoying having two podcasts a week uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, <laughs> that, that's for sure, you'd have no idea, uh, and it's, uh, it's taxing me a little bit, but uh, I enjoy getting together twice with you, there's so much to talk about these days. Uh, on Sunday, hopefully you enjoyed Sunday's program, it was a full two hours long, I'm trying to keep the Sunday program about one and a half hours, and I'm trying to keep uh, the Wednesday show uh, about 30 or 40 minutes, but I'm finding it hard to stay within those time parameters, because there's so much to talk about. And the good thing about the Wednesday show is I have all this overflow from Sunday I never get through everything Here on The Financial Physician Because we're living in unusual times And uh, that's why I'm glad that we have two podcasts Because uh, I can't do it all in one show And when we're doing radio only Obviously we only got together uh, for one uh, one day For two hours And I always had a pile of stuff that I never got to and, as a um, host of a show, a new show, basically is this is what this is. Uh, it's uh, easy to get material. There ain't too many there's lots of things going on. There's so much material to talk about. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us. I, I, I'm really grateful that so many of you are coming to the midweek, mid-week podcast. Hopefully that will continue to uh, increase as the weeks go on, uh, and uh, we'll continue to do two podcasts a week as long as you want to listen to it. Uh, let's start off the show talking about um, what I think is pretty bizarre: uh, is that we're seeing in the economic news an attempt by the mainstream media and tangentially the White House and the Democrats and Biden to declare inflation defeated. Despite all the facts to the contrary, uh, they're coming out saying Bidenomics is working. Look, inflation is coming down. Um, uh, in June, it was only three uh, percent. Well, three percent inflation means prices have gone up three percent. So, what cost a dollar a year ago is costing a dollar three. But you got to keep in mind too; uh, they're only talking about the most recent consumer price index which is supposed to be an indication or a measure of current inflation growth. But it's not a measure of the inflation that's already took place. And that's the thing, and, you know, until you have prices going down, which is not going to happen, not in the major uh, things that we buy every day. Now, we'll see deflation in some areas of the economy, and I'll talk about that in the sec- in a second. You know, we're going to have competing issues. We're going to have deflation on some things and inflation on other things. And I believe we're going to have inflation on things we need, like food and groceries and uh, fuel and so forth. And we're going to see deflation and other things, like stock portfolios, uh, real estate, um, uh, and other things. And, you know, when we talk about inflation, you know, it's easily manipulated. Uh, and I've talked about that for years on this program. The way the current inflation is, is presented to us It kind of seems like a fiscal miracle. Last year at this time, inflation was 9.7%. Now it's only three. That's a good thing, right? Well, I guess three is better than 9.7 or whatever it was, but it's not real. The real inflation rate, if we we figure it out the way we used to, and I always refer to John Williams, who's an older economist. He has a website called shadowstats.com. And what he does is he calculates economic numbers like they used to be calculated in the 80s. Therefore, we could have a fair comparison. And if we look at inflation today and we calculate it the same way it was calculated back in the 80s, the inflation rate right now is double digits. But meanwhile, the the Biden administration, Biden himself, the Democrats, and and of course, the mainstream media uh, are coming out and saying that inflation is going down. The rate of inflation is going down, but they want you to believe that prices are going down, and we know better than that. Now, what is the definition of inflation? Now, I uh, I recently uh, downloaded the app Chat GPT. You ever hear of this thing? Uh, this is like an artificial intelligence kind of thing, and you type in it's like it's it's like a text thing. You type in a question, and boom, up pops. Um, all kinds of information. It's kind of weird. Um, I even put my own name in there to see what would come up. Who's Luz Katigna? It came up as of my last update. Lou Katigna is a financial expert, author, and radio host known for providing advice on personal finance and retirement planning. He has written books on money management and has appeared on various media platforms to share his insights into financial matters. I guess that's pretty pretty accurate description of me. Now, where to get all this information? I, I guess they scour the internet and pick up stuff here or there. Uh, and um, then I typed in, what is The Financial Physician? The Financial Physician is a book written by Lou Katigna, a financial expert and author. The book provides advice on, and guidance on managing personal finances, making informed financial decisions, and planning for retirement. It aims to help readers understand and improve their financial health by addressing various aspects of money management. All right, pretty accurate, I guess. I mean, that's that's the book. They don't mention the radio show as the financial position, but that's okay. So I put in to uh, chat GPT, and it's a free app. You can just download it to your iPhone or whatever. Uh, I find it very informational. It's really good, actually. Um, how accurate it is, uh, I would imagine it's pretty accurate, but I imagine there's some things in there that... Uh, are not very accurate, you know, garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. Uh, So I said here, explain inflation. And the response, and it comes back almost instantaneously. It's amazing how quick this thing comes back. Um, Inflation refers to the general increase in the price of goods and services in the economy over time. It means that on average, the purchasing power of money decreases because you need more money to buy the same things, you used to buy for less. Inflation occurs when there is an imbalance between the money supply in an economy and the supply of goods and services available. Here are a few common causes of inflation. Demand-pull inflation. This occurs when demand for goods and services exceed their supply. Consumers have more money to spend, so they bid up the prices of available goods and services. Cost-push inflation. This is caused by an increase in the cost of production for goods and services. When the cost of raw materials, labor, and other production factors rise, businesses often pass those increased costs onto consumers in the form of higher prices. Built-in inflation, also known as wage price inflation, this occurs when workers demand higher wages to keep up with rising prices. Businesses, in turn, raise prices to cover the increased labor costs, creating a cycle of rising wages and prices. And then fourth, monetary policy. Central banks can influence inflation by adjusting the money supply and interest rates. If a central bank prints more money or keeps interest rates low, it can lead to more money circulating in the economy, potentially driving up demand and prices. Inflation is typically measured using various indexes or indices, such as the consumer price index or CPI or the producer price index, PPI central bank often aim to maintain a target level of inflation that is considered healthy for economic growth, employment, and stability. However, very high inflation or hyperinflation or very low inflation or deflation can both have negative impacts on an economy. So I think that's a pretty good, uh, example of inflation, uh, <laughs> And I think one of the big issues in inflation that that interest rates can't help, and that's supply chain inflation, which is a big reason we're seeing a lot of inflation, especially in groceries and things like that, is that, you know, supply chains are being messed up. Production schedules or how about um, crop issues? Uh, You know, we have weather issues around the world and we're seeing decreases in crops. We're seeing drought. We're also seeing Um, shortages of grain uh, in Europe and Africa due to the Ukrainian war. And now we have um, Russia clamping down on on wheat exports out of Ukraine. Uh, So we have things that you can raise interest rates to 30%. It's not going to increase the supply. And that's one of the issues that we're dealing with uh, right now. But at the end of the day, it comes down to monetary policy. Inflation is always a monetary event. And what ChatGPT did not state in its definition of inflation is the true definition of inflation, which is growth of the money supply, inflated money. The amount of money flowing around out there uh, rises and that money pushes up prices because there's so much more money out there than there is services or goods. So we'll bid it up. Just take a house, for instance, right? If there's more money sloshing around there, interest rates are low, banks are lending money, you'll pay more for a house. You'll bid the price up. If you recall, it wasn't long ago that we had 30 people bidding over the asking price for a home. It was crazy. Uh, Now, that's, of course, dried up uh, with uh, rising mortgage rates. And that's a result of monetary policy having an effect on quelling Housing inflation, because you can only afford so much in a mortgage payment each month and when interest rates at seven, seven and a half versus three and a half a couple of years ago, well, that's a big difference in the payment. So, you you know, you have affordability issues and therefore the price of housing either stagnates or it drops to accommodate uh, the higher cost of owning a home. Um, But at the end of the day, it all comes down to monetary policy. Now, if you want to get a sense of how bad the situation is from a money supply standpoint, let's take a look at uh, the Federal Reserve's M2 money supply. Now, M2 money supply, we're talking about actual cash out there, right? That's floating around out there. According to the M2, the amount of dollars in circulation jumped an astounding 40% in the span of only two years. Think about that. The amount of money in the economy went up 40% in two years. And you wonder why we have inflation. It's like economic law. You can't increase the money supply like that and not have inflation. And that happened due to all the COVID stimulus, all the printing of money into the economy. I mean, this is an epic amount of money. And uh, I don't think that the economy is fully process that I think we still have inflationary pressures from that and the bottom line has been too many dollars chasing too few goods and services and thus we see dramatic increases in prices now we're seeing it worse in things that we need as I said before it now costs us it's estimated roughly 25 to 50 percent more per year to live than it did just in 2020 three years ago and it's not over not by a long shot. we still got a ways to go here. Um, so household costs are climbing. And since inflation is cumulative, we're never going to get rid of these price increases. You've got to get used to it. When's the last time you saw prices go down a lot? Especially in everyday articles, food, meat, Uh It's just amazing, you know, you see the prices of meat nowadays. People are starting to do away with meat, or at least cutting back dramatically, and we're seeing that uh, from pork producers, from cattle sales, and everything else. we're seeing that people are just not eating meat anymore because they can't afford it. Uh, So, you know, you have your household budget go up, just say on the low end of this, 25%. Well, your wages better went up 25%, or you have a lower standard of living, or, You're going deeper and deeper into debt, and we'll talk about that for a second. Now, many economists and market pundits have been saying that the Fed should be close to done with interest rates, but the Fed keeps coming out and saying, no, they're not. Well, I believe the Fed, not some economic pundit, and, and the Fed remains hawkish for a reason because they know that inflation is not going away, and they know they need to raise interest rates further. Now, one of the things that Biden and his administration did to try to at least hold back inflation a little bit in the energy area is they drained our strategic petroleum reserve to artificially bring down the CPI before the 2022 elections. I mean, that's fraud. That's what it is. It's short-term economic fraud, right? The strategic petroleum reserve is for emergencies, not price emergencies, supply emergencies, There was no problem with supply. They just wanted to get the price of gasoline down because they thought that it would adversely affect them in the election, and they were right. But Biden has run out of reserves now to dilute the market. And the cost of refilling these reserves are going to be substantially higher than we got for selling it. And by the way, did you hear this story? That Biden's energy secretary called China before we released the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and made an arrangement to sell some of that to a Chinese energy company. Does it sound familiar? I'll expand that out on Sunday. Um, But now we're starting to see uh, gas prices rise again because we're not selling the SPR anymore. It's empty. And... uh, you're going to probably see gas prices rise the rest of the year. We're looking at 3.90. I think it was 2.35 when Biden took office. 3.90 right now. Four dollars a gallon is is certainly in the cards. Probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see gas prices where they were at the high uh, a couple of years back. Uh, and that's a big problem because energy prices flow through the entire economy. And uh, because why? It costs money to ship everything, right? Everything has to be produced. It takes energy to produce and manufacture a product. It takes energy to ship that product. Energy goes into everything. And that's why I keep a a really good eye on the price of oil, which right now is about $82, $83 a barrel. Uh, Everybody was saying oil prices were going to go down uh, a year or so ago. Well, they're going up. They did briefly go down, uh, but now they're going up again. And I've seen some analysts on Wall Street, some of the big firms, saying that $100 barrel oil is in the cards. And that would not uh, do well for inflation. And uh, let's think about inflation. You know, you look at at, at U.S. Treasury bonds. Now, um, last week, a uh, week before last, I guess, I mentioned to you on Sunday that that Fitch ratings downgraded the U.S.'s long-term debt credit rating, long-term credit rating from AAA to AA+. Now, that kind of a downgrade, uh, it's not going to significantly impact the ability of the United States to borrow money. But there's a bigger problem on the horizon, and that's the loss of purchasing power of the U.S. dollar. And, uh, And that's a real threat. And if you recall, one of the reasons why uh, Fitch lowered the rating is because of this dance that we always go through with the debt ceiling. It's always a political crisis. It comes down to the last minute. The government's got to borrow Peter to pay Paul and, you know, drain all its cash things. And then uh, finally there's a deal at the last minute and, and we play this game over and over again. But it's just been two months since Congress reached a deal and suspended the debt ceiling for two years. There is no debt ceiling right now. And because there's no debt ceiling, the national debt has surged a staggering $1.2 trillion. $1.2 trillion in two months? And the borrowing isn't going to slow down anytime soon. It's not. As a matter of fact, last week, the Treasury Department uh, said that they're going to issue, get this, 1.01 trillion dollars in additional debt In the next three months So that's 2.2 trillion dollars in six months And that's up from uh, the 733 billion dollar Third quarter projection That came out in May So obviously The budget deficit is increasing the interest cost on the debt is uh, exponentially increasing. Uh, You know, for a fiscal year 2022, we paid $450 billion in interest on our debt. Now, because we're issuing new debt and debt is maturing, especially low interest debt that this country has had because we had 12 years worth of zero interest rate policy, uh, we're seeing that, uh, interest is just going up, 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 up. And we'll continue. The interest on a debt is projected to be almost a trillion dollars in fiscal year 2023. A trillion dollars. Again, we, I always like to do this exercise with you guys because these numbers can just be bewildering. You know, like a you know, trillion dollars makes your eyes glass over. But what really is a trillion dollars? Well, a million is a thousand thousand A billion is a thousand million. A thousand million dollars, that's a lot of money, right? And a trillion is a thousand billion. So a trillion is a lot of money. If you counted to a trillion, one second at a time, one, two, three, four, you counted to a trillion, you know how long that would take you? 33,600 years. So you better get started if you want to count to a trillion. Uh, that's how much it is. It's just mind-boggling. So we just borrowed $1.2 trillion in two months. We're going to borrow another trillion in the next three months. And we're going to continue to borrow to pay the interest on the debt, which is going to continue to go up and soon will be $2 trillion. And meanwhile, the Federal Reserve's is hell-bent and continue to raise interest rates and keep them high, which means, as the U.S. debt matures and more and more matures, we got to reinstitute it at higher rates. It's almost like committing economic and fiscal suicide. So the Federal Reserve has to determine: you know, do we fight inflation and bankrupt the United States, which is already bankrupt, or just ex- exacerbate that, or do we uh, start lowering interest rates to take some pressure off the Treasury? That, that's that's a big deal Now think about it too Now with the, the credit rating down The chipping away of the status of the U.S. dollar As a reserve currency The BRICS are meeting uh, I believe it's uh, If not next week, the week after They're having their big meeting uh, They're going to talk about an alternative currency To the U.S. dollar And make no mistake about it The world is moving away from the U.S. dollar Now You know, when you talk about credit ratings, um, it's usually uh, indicative of the risk of default. You know, will a a bond go bankrupt? Will 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 it default on you? And it doesn't even make sense to apply a credit rating on the U.S. government. Because, again, the point of the rating is the likelihood of default. I mean, nobody is really worried about the U.S. government defaulting on its debt. Because the Federal Reserve could always create new money to pay it off or pay the interest on it. and We never pay off the debt. We just roll it over. So if there's a billion dollars in bonds mature today, we issue a billion dollars and probably more than that to fund the deficit that's currently happening. Uh, And and if the interest rates are higher, we have to pay higher interest rates on that. And that's what's happening now. So the U.S. government won't default—at least, not in a technical definition of default—but that doesn't mean there's no risk in buying the U.S. treasuries, and that's true of any buy, any uh, bond you buy with U.S. dollars. Because it doesn't matter how credit worthy the issuer of the of the of the bond is; it's more about the risk of inflation and the value of the dollar when that bond matures. So. You know, dollar depreciation is like a default. It's a de facto default on your debt. Because if I'm going to just print money and give you deflated uh, dollars, what good is it? And the government is more and more dependent on the printing press from the Federal Reserve to pay its bills. So you'll still get your money back when the bond matures, But certainly you lose purchasing powers. And the dollars you get back won't buy as much stuff as what the dollars were worth when you bought the bond. So if you really want to rate U.S. US government debt properly, it's probably junk bond status. Not because it'll default on you, because the money you're going to get back is not going to be worth much. So say you buy a a 30-year treasury bond right now. Today the yield's 4%. Uh, and 30 years from now, you get your money back. Do you think that money is going to be worth what it is today? you think that 4% interest is going to cover the decline in the purchasing power of the U.S. debt? Of course not. So you're guaranteed to lose money with a U.S. government bond. And if that's the case, what should the rating be? Or more importantly, what should the interest rate be to attract capital? Now, if this was a free market, the bond market... Meaning there was no Federal Reserve to create money out of thin air and buy our bonds, which is also known as monetizing the debt, which is what we're doing right now. And we're going to do increasingly because the rest of the world don't want U.S. dollars. They don't want U.S. dollar-denominated debt. And that's why the BRICS are coming together. That's why they're putting together alternative currencies. They're not stupid. They see the writing on the wall. They don't want to own depreciating currency. Especially a currency that's depreciating at a at an accelerating pace, and my guess is that we're going to see interest rates in the U.S. government bond market and therefore everything else continuing to rise to an area where we're going to see double digit interest rates again. And those those who are old enough to remember in the nineteen eighties, we had CDs were paying seventeen percent. Boy, wouldn't you like to get that right now? You could have bought a 30-year treasury bond yielding 17 or 18%. Wow, what a a smart buy that was for anybody who did that. Um, But that's where it's going. And I really do think inflation is coming back with a vengeance here. I I think this little slowdown we've seen in inflation uh, is going to start turning the other way. And the biggest driver of that is going to be energy prices. You know, a lot of people are saying that. You know, how come the U.S. inflation rate has come down to three percent, but Europe and the rest of the world still has high inflation? Is it some kind of fiscal miracle? Is Bidenomics really that great? It's lowering inflation. Well, it's not. We know that's not the case. And I've said on this program many times, they fudge numbers. They're fudging the CPI, they're fudging the employment numbers, they're fudging the GDP, and it's only going to get worse as we go into an election next year. Everything is a lie. Isn't that something? Your government, everything your government tells you now is a lie. Has been for some time, but it's even worse now. And uh, I'm just concerned that, you know, we're going to to see not just inflation, But major inflation, and maybe even hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is coming. Just a question of when. Because that's the way this play always ends. All you have to do is go back into economic history and watch it and read it. And you'll see, this story has been played out many, many times in human history. Going all the way back to the Romans, and probably before that. They started to dilute their currency. In the Romans' case, it was having less silver in the denarius, And that led to hyperinflation in the empire and the end of the empire. Last year, um, I don't know if it was earlier, I think it was earlier this year, I spent five weeks on this program explaining to you historic inflations and how they came about and how they ended. And they all ended bad. And it all comes, it's the same scenario. A country goes from being a dominant military and economic power with a trade surplus and a budget surplus. And ultimately, the people realize that they can get free stuff from the government. Through political maneuvering, um, they are able to get their representatives to take part of the treasury and give it to them in services, food, free healthcare, education, education, that kind of thing. Retirement. Uh, now, I'm not saying all these things are bad. I'm just saying is that that's the projection. Uh, that's the progression. Uh, and uh, once that starts to happen, you start to go into deficit spending. Now you're spending more money than you're taking in, And now that's okay. You could start borrowing some money. This happens a lot to countries during wars. Uh, To fund the war, they'll borrow a lot of money, then they'll pay it off after the war is over, especially if you're victorious, because your economy tends to skyrocket after a war, if you're the victor. Uh, And then what happens is you start getting worse and worse, because the interest on the debt just becomes unbearable, and uh, no longer will investors or foreigners want to own that debt, therefore the central bank comes in and starts to print money to fund the deficit, and now you have the beginnings of inflation, uh, then it just gets worse and worse and worse, and then you have hyperinflation. Now, I make it simple. That's a very simplification of of the inflation, hyperinflation process, but that's basically it. If you distill down history, whether it's the Weimar Republic, whether it's Argentina, Zimbabwe, Rome, and now the United States, or maybe the entire planet, because the entire planet's in debt, Uh, that's how you get inflation. Uh, So inflation is not going away. Uh, It's primarily a monetary event. And uh, the Fed will have to continue to print and print and print, uh, which means inflation is going to get worse and worse and worse, which means they can't bring down interest rates. They may have to continue to raise them, which then will hurt the economy. And here's where the deflation comes in. Okay, as I said before, we're going to have inflation on certain things, Deflation and other things. Things you own will deflate. Stocks, real estate, things like that will deflate as demand for that stuff goes down because people can't afford it. Either prices are too high or interest rates are too high. And things that you need every day, like food, like gasoline for your car, those things are all going to go up. So that's kind of a bad scenario because your savings, and your investments, your assets are losing value and the cost of living is going up. I don't think you have to be a, an economics major to understand that's a bad thing. And we're seeing it now. Here's an example. People now. I even saw this on Fox & Friends this morning. I was going to talk about it before they even mentioned it, um, is that we're seeing people take distributions prematurely from their 401ks and their IRA accounts to fund their current lifestyle because they can't afford to live. So what people are doing is those fortunate enough to have a retirement plan are robbing their retirement so they can live today. And that's a pretty onerous situation. So hopefully you're taking care of your family. You've managed your money properly. Uh, We have to start becoming more and more frugal. Uh, The consumer is starting to pull back on their purchases. It was announced this week that for the first time in a long time, revolving credit, meaning credit cards, uh, people stop using them. A either their credit line has been been hit already, and they, there's no more credit left for them, or they just realize that hey, honey, you know we can't keep doing this. I mean, we got fifteen thousand in credit card debt uh, at twenty two percent interest. Uh, we got to start paying this thing down. So we're not going to go on vacation this year. Um, we're going to have a, a more reasonable holiday season. Uh, we're going to concern, you know, we're going to we're going to take our money and try to pay down that credit card debt as best we can, uh, and we have to live a little frugal. Uh, and since the consumer is 70% of uh, the economy, that's a big deal. And usually we start seeing contraction in revolving credit uh, at the end of a cycle, just before we enter a recession. And uh, my guess is that's probably what's happening here, that that people are just totally tapped out. They have too much debt. It's It's suffocating them uh and they can't afford to live the lifestyle they've been living because of inflation um you know, we used to eat steak once a week. Now we're having it once a month. So your standard of living obviously is contracted. it has to. because if things are costing more than you're bringing in, this only either you you change your lifestyle and spend what you have and, and buy less expensive things like chicken versus beef, um, or you borrow, and Americans have been borrowing. To, you know, they were saying, "Okay, we have some inflation here. We got to deal with it." We had the COVID thing. Let's use our credit cards a little bit. This too shall pass, and unfortunately, it has not passed. Uh, it is a big problem, but now you're going to see the consumers start to stop spending, and we're seeing it. We're, you know, where I look at all the time, shipping. You look at uh, Federal Express, UPS, you look at their volumes, also look at their stock price, look at their earnings, and you'll see what's happening now is FedEx is laying people off. If I don't buy that item from Amazon, it doesn't have to be shipped to me, right? So shipping is really important because it gives you a good indication on what the consumer is doing, and shipping is contracting. So the consumer's pulling back. That should lead to a recession. Now, some people say, well, a recession would be good for inflation. Uh, That'll help inflation go down. But I'm telling you, it's only going to be deflation in your assets. It's not going to be deflation of uh, your grocery products. Because once those prices go up, they stay up. Asset prices, on the other hand, uh, are, are, are more volatile. And are affected by rising interest rates, are affected by a slowing economy. So uh, I, the reason I open the show on this is because a lot of people are out there saying inflation is starting to be whipped. It is not. There was a temporary lowering of the rate of increase. But it's still increasing on top of what it increased last year. And as I said earlier, the average household on everyday things are seeing a 25 to 50% increase not 3% a year. And unfortunately, it's going to get worse. All right, let's take a quick break. My name's Lou Katigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. AFM Investments Luz Katigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMInvestments.net. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company. Member FINRA and SIPC registered advisory services through our Check advisors.
2: Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732- 600-8721 or go to JerseyShoreSeptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer. Top quality work at the most affordable
0: rates. Welcome back to our midweek financial physician podcast. My name is Lou Skatignis, certified financial planner, and we get together twice a week. Sunday, I upload the main podcast, two-hour podcast, or at least close to it. Uh, uploaded by 9 a.m. Uh, and usually earlier. I, I usually have the show done on Saturday, so it's ready to upload. And if, when I wake up Sunday morning, I upload it. So it could be 7 in the morning, it could be 6 in the morning, but it's certainly, if you go there at 9 a.m., it'll be there. So you can go to physician.com click on podcast, and just link right over to Podomatic. Or much easier is when you're on Podomatic, set up an account and follow the show. If you follow the show, Automatically, when I upload a new podcast, it sends you an email, so you'll get notified right away. Uh, I'm talking about within 30 seconds of me uploading it. You'll have an email, new podcast available from Luz Uh But otherwise, just go to thefinancialphysician.com, link over to the Podomatic, and you'll see uh, the most recent podcast. So we do the Sunday program, two hours, up by 9 a.m. Eastern time, and um, on Wednesday by usually 4 or 5 o'clock. I will have the midweek podcast running maybe, I say a half hour, 40 minutes, probably be more like an hour each week. I can't, I can't, I can't work with such little time. I have to, there's just too much to talk about. So my guess is that the, the midweek podcast going forward to be about an hour long. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you want to comment on the program or make some suggestions on things you want me to cover, or if I can help you personally, you have a personal finance issue. Uh, feel free to call me and say, Hey Lou, I got this problem. W- you know, what's your advice? Uh, free of charge. I'll give you my advice for what it's worth. It's probably worth a lot. My 40 years experience. I think, uh, I, I could say that, uh, there's value to my advice. So it's free of charge to you as a listener to this program. Uh, I'm available to you. So feel free to, uh, uh, email me. You want to call me at my office? Uh, the phone number seven, three, two. you want to call me, just talk to me, as opposed to send me an email, I'm always available to you. Love your emails, and I respond to each and every one. If I don't, send it again. I probably, you know, we all get tons of junk email, right? Believe me, I probably get more than you do. Between, you know, all the email I get from my clients, my listeners, and all the spam that comes through, you try to block it, it doesn't matter, it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Uh, and if I miss you, uh, I'm sorry, you know, just send it again. Say, Lou, I sent this to you before. Um, and I'll get back to you. Uh, so I do like to talk to you. I like to e- email back and forth with our listeners. Uh, we get we have some really great listeners and, and so many of you have such great comments about this program and, and I appreciate it. And if you do like the program and you think it has value, it's up to you to share it because that's the only way this program grows. You know, I'm not on the airwaves anymore. The only way somebody knows about this program is if you tell them. If you send the, the link to the podcast and say you should listen to this guy. Uh, all they have to do is listen once and I believe they'll be hooked. Just like you are. Uh, and, or if you have social media, put the link up on social media. Say here's a guy you should listen to twice a week. And that's the way it grows. Or if you have any forums that you're involved in or or any social media, get it out there. Because the information we bring on this program, A, is important, B, can change your life, and C, you're not gonna get on the mainstream media. All right, this is a very disturbing thing, uh, and I've talked about it uh, before, but it's so important to so many people that uh, I want to reiterate it again. America now is facing a retirement crisis, and I don't say that lightly. You know, it used to be that, you know, we worked our whole lives, and then uh, we retire, and uh, we either had a pension or our house was paid off, so that was our piggy bank. we downsized, free up a few hundred thousand, and that was our savings that we can invest for income. we lower our expenses, and we live happily ever after with our Social Security, our pension, our Medicare, and our savings. And, you know, I've been in financial services. This is my 40th year. Uh, October will be 40 years that I've been a licensed financial advisor. Um blows my mind to say that, uh, because it was, uh, it went by so quick and I don't feel like an old man and I'm not, I'm 63. Um, uh, but, uh, my head spins when I think about 40 years in financial services and 35 years on, on, only my own financial planning practice. Uh, so, uh, Uh, I never saw this. Early in my career, retired people, for the most part, I mean, you know, there's exceptions. There's people only living on Social Security and so forth. But elderly poverty was a relatively small percent of that demographic. My fear is now, in the next 10 to 20 years, elderly poverty, it's going to be the main demographic of poverty in America. And that depresses me. I can't tell you to no end. Uh, and it's uh, there's a number of factors involved in it I'll go over it in a second But uh, this article came out this week And this is what prompted me to bring it up again um, Millions of U.S. workers Near retirement age Have zero money saved Think about that Millions of U.S. workers Near retirement Age have zero money saved So we're not doing so great Bidenomics, It's working great for you, right? But it's not just by economics, This has been going on for some time. So listen to this, this statistic. Only 1 in 10 low-income workers between the ages of 51 and 64 had any retirement savings in 2019. A significant decline compared with 1 in 5 low-income workers in 2007. According to a troubling report recently published by the U.S. Government Accountability Office. Now, that's in stark contrast to the 9 in 10 high-income households that reported some kind of retirement account during the years 2007 to 2019. That same group enjoyed a, a surge in medium retirement assets, which also doubled during that period. So, obviously, people who make more money are able to save more into the retirement plans. I mean, it's... Goes without saying, right? It's just common sense. Lower income workers don't have the discretionary income to put it into an IRA or a 401k. They need it to buy food, pay their rent and and everything else. And that's a big problem. As I said, talking about inflation in the first segment is that Americans now are are depleting their retirement plans if they're lucky enough to have one so they can live today. And that's... uh, that's a pretty depressing scenario if you're the one having to do that. Not only that, a lot of Americans that are under 59 and a half have to be taxed on that money and get a 10% premature penalty. So you're giving maybe 30, 40% of that money to the government and then having what's left used for everyday expenses at the expense of your retirement. So we're going to see this continue to uh, to expand And another interesting t- statistics I, I read Only 7 in 10 Americans plan to retire That means 30% of Americans never plan to retire And those who don't think They're going to retire 42% believe they will never have enough Savings to do so That's That's pretty depressing I mean, people live their whole lives, you know, they work in their careers. And then under the new system of defined contribution plans, not defined benefit plans, what's the difference? Defined benefit plan is a pension. Defined contribution plan is a 401k where your own money goes into it out of your pay. What a big change over decades has happened. The only ones getting pension these days is if you work for a union or you work for the government. And I would, I tell you, I would recommend if I have young children, I would say, get a job with the government, whether it's the state government, the federal government, become a policeman, a firefighter, a teacher. I know, I do their taxes. I'm their financial advisor to these people. I see what they get. Full health care to death, beautiful pensions. And who pays for it? Well, the public does. That's why they have these pensions, because a corporation doesn't have to use their own money to do it. They're using my money and your money, those of us who don't have pensions. i got to tell you that bothers me. While a certain class of people in the country are paid for their retirement by everybody else that don't have pension plans. Do you see the disparity in that? Or it just doesn't sound fair, right? But people live their whole lives, work, and under this new system of voluntary defined contribution plans, a.k.a. 401k, um, they're looking at living off of Social Security and whatever savings they have. And many people don't have any savings. Now, for some people, retirement savings comes from inheritances, which is their retirement plan? I had a client in the office, and we're talking about all the things she has to do in her retirement and maybe downsize and sell the house she has now. And then I realized she has an aunt that's very wealthy and she's going to inherit 50% of that money, which is going to roughly be, I don't know, six, 700,000. I said, wait a second, that changes everything now. You don't have to downsize. And her wealthy aunt is like in her 90s, you know, so. You know, it's, what's her life expectancy, right? So this is her retirement plan. So I said, don't forget everything I just said for the last hour and a half. As, uh, what's his name would say in The Wizard of Oz, that's a horse of a different color. Now we have a whole different scenario for you. So if you have parents or aunts and uncles with a lot of money and you know you're going to inherit your money from them, congratulations. Congratulations. You have probably the best retirement plan. <laughs> uh, but most of us, are, if we do inherit money from our parents, it's probably not all that much and uh, may or may not make a difference uh, in our retirement. So, uh, sad stuff. Uh, and I, 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 I shudder to think about 80-year-old people having trouble buying food. It's happening now. I mean, I I know it happens. It's been happening for you for decades, but, you know, it's expanding. And you know what? Elderly is the one demographic where poverty has grown over the last 10 years. So I'm right. I mean, it's happening now. More and more elderly Americans are going to be impoverished. Under normal circumstances, let alone a hyperinflationary Circumstance that I laid out in the first segment I didn't want to go there mentally I really don't And I got to tell you I, I mentioned on this program a lot Every time I see an elderly person Standing at a cash register At a grocery store Or working in Home Depot Or collecting tolls Or whatever it is When these people should be home Watching Wheel of Fortune With their feet up relaxing after a lifetime of toil. And they have to get up and go to work. And some of these people are so nice, you know, you would you would think that they would hate life and they're really nice. But many of them, you could see the look on their face that life has really turned against them. And to be able to feed themselves and buy their medicine and, you know, pay their real estate taxes, they have to work. And And that's a sad thing. So anything you could do to make sure that uh, you're putting money away for retirement, and it all comes down to financial responsibility, and it comes down to standard of living. Are you going to live within your means so you can live within your means when you retire? But the problem is too many Americans live above their means and therefore are stealing from their retirement. Well, retirement's out there 10, 15, 20 years. It'll never come. Right now, I got to deal with Pay my mortgage today on the house that I shouldn't have bought in the first place because it was too expensive, too big. And I have to pay my two car payments on the new cars my, my wife and I drive when we should never have bought that in the first place. So the money comes from somewhere, it comes from your future. And uh, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a secret, a little secret. The future comes. And it comes faster than you think. So do what you have to do to make sure that you're not going to be one of those impoverished elderly in your retirement. All right, let's dive into the carnival that is Washington, D.C. these days. And uh, as we move closer and closer to Banana Republic status, as uh, the Biden administration, Biden himself, uh, continue to persecute and prosecute their political opponent in the form of Donald Trump, who's leading the Republican Party by, by uh, 10, was it 30-something points over number two, some maybe even 40 points, uh, Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. Even though the Republican National Committee doesn't want him to be, uh, you have DeSantis out there, you got the fat pig Chris Christie out there attacking Trump every day. What a turncoat that guy is. Um, and uh, you got Mike Pence stabbing it in the back. Uh, you got uh, who else is running? Haley. Uh, none of these people are even got 10%. So Trump is going to be the nominee. So what they're doing is they're persecuting the political opposition, the guy who most likely will beat Joe Biden in any free and fair election. Uh, he already has. <laughs> uh, the problem is we didn't have a free and fair election last time. And that's what Trump is being indicted on now. This January 6th thing that he knew that the election was fair. There was nothing in about it. There was no, they didn't stop counting in six states. They didn't start trucking in ballots, mail-in ballots overnight. They didn't start putting ballots through tabulation machines many times on camera. No, no, those Dominion voting machines didn't switch any votes. So, you know, so he made it all up and he caused an insurrection and he was going against uh, the rule of law in America and he tried to overturn an election when it was fair and free. And because he knew for sure that it was a free and fair election, uh, that's why he's being indicted. Now, it's impossible to prove what Donald Trump knew. And I tell you, anybody who knows Donald Trump believes to this day, he believes that the election was stolen from him. And he's right. Any, any, any free-thinking person who looks at any of the facts, not the mainstream media putting in them, but do a little research on what happened in Atlanta. You know, this, this, this whole election was tripped in Democratic cities in swing states, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. All these ballots, what, hundreds of thousands of ballots came in in the middle of the night. All for Biden. Oh, Nothing unusual about that, 100% Biden, it happens. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Detroit, Michigan. Remember Detroit? They were putting cardboard on the window so nobody could see in there what they were doing. Atlanta, Georgia. That's where they told everybody, all the Republicans to go home because there was a water leak, pipe leak. And meanwhile, the Democrats stayed and found boxes worth of uh, ballots that were stashed under tables and then ran them through multiple times through the tabulation machine, on camera. And then we had uh, Phoenix, Arizona, all the stuff that went on there, including stealing the governorship from Carrie Lake who was up 20% in the polls. Magically, she lost after weeks of counting. So uh, no improprieties in the election, so uh, no reason to, to to question it. Now, Ted Cruz, who I'm starting to like a lot more, uh, you know, he was running against Trump. I kind of lost my, my, my um, affinity for him, but I like him now. He says it like it is. He has a podcast that I recommend all of you listen to. It's called uh, Verdict. And Ted Cruz was on there talking about uh, this latest indictment of Donald Trump, how it's totally political. And then he goes on to talk about this judge who's in charge of this D.C. trial. First of all, in D.C., you can't get a fair trial if you're a Republican. It's 95% Democrat. It's the worst district in the entire country as far as – a Republican uh, or conservative on trial. And the judge on this trial is a rabid anti-Trump Democrat. As a matter of fact, she's even given out longer sentences on January 6th defendants than the government even asked for, which is highly unusual. And this is the one that's going to be in charge of this trial. Uh, Of course, Trump's trying to get it moved out of there, and uh, any fair-minded justice system would do that. Uh, But this is what Ted Cruz had to say, and I I thought it was really, really, really uh, good.
2: This is a political indictment brought by a political prosecutor working for a political attorney general, working for a political president who does not want to to risk losing to Donald Trump in November of 2024. And what Joe Biden, what Merrick Garland, what Jack Smith, what all the apparatchiks in the Biden Justice Department want— is they want, number one, they want Trump to win the Republican nomination. And, and they've now figured out every time they indict Trump, his numbers go up in the primary. That makes them really happy. They want Trump to be the nominee. And then number two, their nirvana is to have multiple criminal trials against Donald Trump, all proceeding ideally in September and October of 2024. And they believe they'll throw so much mud on the wall That Trump will be unelectable. That's their political objective. I understand why they have that political objective. But it's not the rule of law. It's not what the Department of Justice is supposed to be doing.
0: By the way, uh, I don't think it's going to work. I mean, they believe that if Trump wins the nomination, which he will, and is the Republican candidate for president, that he's going to lose. Well, he's not going to lose against Biden, I'll tell you that. First of all, by the time the uh, election comes around next year, Biden will probably be in a nursing home. If he's still alive, I mean, the guy's shot. We all know that, and the entire country knows that they're not going to vote for him. Yeah, you'll get your loonies on the left. That Democrats will always vote Democrat because they hate Trump so much, uh, and that's what they're counting on that that the hatred of Trump will 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 swamp uh, the inca- uh, the incapacity of Joe Biden. But how much more is going to come out legally on the Bidens between now and the election? A lot. I don't even think anything else has to come out. I mean, there's enough there already to send the the, the Biden family to jail for the rest of their lives, let alone uh, impeachment or anything else. But in the court of public opinion, I mean, people know that Joe Biden is the most corrupt president in the history of the country. And we still don't know the depths of the graft that The Bidens have the, the now it's they're saying 50 million. Who knows? But the evidence is there. We they have 178 suspicious activity reports from, from a number of banks. There's foreign bank accounts. I mean, it, it's all there. It's an open and shut case of influence peddling, bribery, uh, corruption, treason. It's there, it's not conjecture, it's not a dossier that's unverified. Uh, they have it all. They have the laptop with all the emails. It's all there. That's what's amazing about it. All the evidence of high crimes are there, and nothing's happens to the Bidens. Meanwhile, they make up crimes with, with Trump. He's got three indictments and possibly four. Now, I was telling you about this judge. Uh, uh, she is so anti-Trump. She, he cannot get a fair trial in her courtroom, and he can't get a fair trial in D.C. in general. So listen to what Ted Cruz has to say about this judge.
2: Fortunately, we've entered Banana Republic territory. In in over two centuries of our nation's history, no president of the United States has ever been indicted. We now have a former president who, as you note, is the leading opposition candidate to be the next president, who's been indicted not once, not twice, but three times. And in all likelihood, it will be four times. That is... We're almost numb to how unprecedented that is. If you look at this latest indictment, the circumstances of it are highly problematic. This indictment has been brought in D.C. The case was assigned to a federal district judge, a judge named Tanya Chutkin. Uh, Judge Chutkin was appointed to the D.C. District Court by Barack Obama. And she has a reputation for being far left, even by D.C. district court standards. Judge Chutkin, for example, has set aside numerous federal death penalty cases. And she is the only federal judge in Washington, D.C., who has sentenced January 6th defendants to sentences longer than the government requested. So in terms of the judge... We can anticipate a judge who is going to be relentlessly hostile to Donald Trump, who is going to bend over backwards for the Biden DOJ, and who is going to make ruling after ruling after ruling against Trump. She wants this to go to trial. Now, to be clear, she doesn't want this to go to trial now. She doesn't want it to go to trial in a week. She doesn't want it to go to trial in a month. DOJ wants Trump to get the nomination. So this trial can't happen too quickly. They want it to happen after he's nominated but before the general election. And I will tell you, if it goes to trial, you will have a jury that is drawn from the District of Columbia. The District of Columbia is the jurisdiction in the United States that is the most Democrat of any jurisdiction in the country in terms of a district or a state. Over 90% of the voters in D.C. vote Democrat voted for Joe Biden, voted for Hillary Clinton, consistently vote Democrat. They are not Donald Trump supporters. The likelihood that a D.C. jury will vote to convict Donald Trump is exceptionally high, and the facts don't matter, the laws don't matter. They hate him. That's a big part of the reason why the Biden DOJ wants to bring this case in D.C., which means with a far-left judge and a far-left jury, there is a very real possibility that Donald Trump ends up being convicted. Now, I think on appeal, that conviction will not stand. But it might stand in the D.C. Circuit. An appeal would go to the D.C. Circuit. It would depend what panel you get on the D.C. Circuit whether a conviction would stand. I think the ultimate outcome... Of any Donald Trump conviction on this indictment would be a reversal in all likelihood at the U.S. Supreme Court. I would and what is dangerous about this particular indictment with a judge and a jury that are likely to be stacked against Donald Trump and, and in fact loathe Donald Trump. That is a very dangerous scenario that is, I think, exceptionally bad, A, for the rule of law, but B, for democracy. Whether you want Donald Trump to be the next president or not, that question should not be answered by a corrupt Department of Justice weaponizing the legal system.
0: Yeah, sounds like you can get a fair trial. No problem there. How did we get here? How did the United States of America get to where we are right now? With a weaponized Department of Justice persecuting a former president and the leading candidate against the sitting president now with such bogus charges in a in a district where this is going to be a kangaroo court. I mean, you would think, and I'm going to play Alan Dershowitz in a second, you know, he goes on to say that you would think bringing a, a case like this against the former president and the leading candidate right now for president, you would do it in the most fair way possible with the overwhelming amount of evidence. And that's not happening now. Now, I like Alan Dershowitz. I didn't like him in the past because he was a raving liberal going all the way back to when he defended O.J. Simpson. You know, I didn't like the guy. But he, he since has grown on me. And the reason why is that he, uh, he defended Trump in the impeachment, if you remember. He was one of the attorneys. But... He's not so rabid a, par, a partisan that he, he's more of a constitutionalist uh, and the rule of law, and he says it like it is, and he's been ostracized. He says it many times. By the way, he has a uh, – I don't know if it's a daily podcast, but he has an interesting podcast called Dersh, uh, but if you look him up, you'll find it. I've been listening to it. I, I think it's very good actually. He obviously is a very smart legal mind. Uh, and he goes on to say, uh, and he's mentioned, here's that word banana Republic. Again, you heard Ted Cruz say, it. I've been saying it on his program for months that we're going down banana Republic status. So I want to play Alan Dershowitz, uh, and what he has to say about this case and just keep in mind, you know, he's not a conservative, he's not a Republican. He's a liberal Democrat, but he's one of the four, you know, few liberal Democrats that, uh, is honest.
1: Um, Oh, I wanted to make one more point. Uh, And that's very important. There is now an argument being made, and I think it will be made by the lawyers, that this case was encouraged to be brought by the president of the United States against his most prominent rival. He's denied that. President Biden said, no, I I never talked to to Garland. I never urged him to do anything. But let me read you from, from the New York Times. Um, While the president has never communicated his frustration, his frustration over there not having been a prosecution. This this is April of 2022, and it says uh, the attorney general's deliberative approach has come to frustrate Democratic allies of the White House and at times President Biden himself. And it says, while the president has never communicated his frustration over the fact that he hasn't been prosecuted directly to Mr. Garland, He has said privately, and the private conversations were then made public, so obviously Garland knew about that. He has said privately that he wanted Mr. Garland to act less like a ponderous judge and more like a prosecutor who's willing to take decisive action over the events of January 2nd. Now imagine Merrick Garland reading that in the New York Times reading it in various newspapers around the country, it's a message. He's getting the message from Biden. Biden is saying to him, hey, Garland, don't act like a ponderous judge. Act like a zealous prosecutor. And not long after that, we get a zealous prosecution of the man running against the incumbent president of the United States to replace him. That, we're not a banana republic. We're far from it. But boy, that is a step toward banana land when you have a current president of the United States communicating through friends who then leak it to the newspapers, a message to the attorney general of the United States, get Trump, get Trump. It's the name of my book, Get Trump. If, if this doesn't prove that this administration is out to get Trump. I don't know what does. Um, And so we have a situation now where the president of the United States indirectly urges his attorney general to prosecute zealously the man who's running against him for president. If you're going to do that, it better be the strongest case imaginable. It better be in front of a completely unbiased judge and in a district where justice can be achieved. None of those criteria have been met. And we're getting closer to the bananas. Every time one of these stories comes out, and every time the prosecution refuses to move the case, I see another banana. And so right now we're at two or three bananas. Let's assume that we have a banana criteria. If you get 10 bananas, you're a banana republic. We're... Probably two or three at this point. That's too
0: close for comfort. Yeah, we're getting close to the bananas. Uh, So Ted Cruz mentioned bananas, uh, Banana Republic, uh, Alan Dershowitz did. And of course, I've been saying it for months now. Now, I disagree with Alan Dershowitz in one respect. We're not at two and a half to three bananas out of 10. We're at five bananas out of 10. And if you take into consideration our fiscal issues that I mentioned earlier in the program with our massive debt and our massive deficits and printing money, Uh, maybe we're seven bananas. But certainly from a political standpoint, I think we're at five bananas. Um, One banana is too much, obviously. But if you step back and just think about it, what's going on here? This is – it's so – if it wasn't Donald Trump, the entire country would be – uh, outraged that we're using the department of justice as a political arm of the democratic party of the Biden administration. I mean, it, it is just outrageous. Uh, and I wonder when the courts will step in and put an end to this. This is like, uh, this is unconstitutional, everything that's going on. And it's certainly making the country look like a laughingstock around the world. And on Sunday, I'll play some things from news outlets around the world. What, what they see in us. And that's another reason why the dollar is doomed. Nobody wants to be involved with the American, uh, America anymore. And what you're witnessing is the destruction of America, destruction of its institutions, uh, destruction of the rule of law, destruction of democracy and the political system, social and cultural degradation. It's just unbelievable. And it's happening so quick. And I want to bring uh, Dershowitz on one more time. And he's going he's gonna to tell you about this judge again, just like uh, Ted Cruz did. And, and this is very important because it's not the jury, really, that's going to decide Trump's fate. It's the judge. Because the judge determines what the jury will vote on, what is admissible and inadmissible evidence. And she's going to rule against Trump on every motion. That's how bad this is. You want to talk about a kangaroo court? This is what it is. Now, this woman, listen to what you hear from Dershowitz, you know, uh, where she came from and what she's about.
1: Remember, this is a judge who got her legal training from a law firm that had, as one of its partners, the most qualified lawyer in America, this brilliant graduate of Yale Law School, this man who anybody would want to hire to be a lawyer, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden was a partner in that firm, and the firm represented Hunter Biden and was involved in the Burisma case. And by the way, this is a firm, as I've told you before, that I believe has had more conflicts of interests than any firm in modern history, any big firm in modern history. This is a judge who has voiced negative opinions about Donald Trump and people associated with Donald Trump has voiced positive opinions about the violence uh, engaged in by people in the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, riots that followed the um, murder of, of George Floyd. So this is a case that's being tried in the wrong place in front of the wrong judge. Let's remember one more thing, and this is crucially, crucially important. This is probably the most controversial case in modern American history. The country is deeply divided over whether the election was stolen. It was not. I'm not divided about it. The country is deeply divided about that. The country is deeply divided as to whether this is a political witch hunt, whether this is selective prosecution. Much more divided than they were over the Richard Nixon um, uh, potential impeachment and or prosecution, which didn't happen because he resigned. This is so controversial and so divisive. You would think that the prosecution would want it to be above reproach. You would think the prosecution would consent to bringing the case in West Virginia or Virginia or some other state. Remember, this is the most anti-Trump district of any district in the United States. You'd think that the prosecution, if he believes he has a strong case, that he didn't want to endanger on appeal. Uh, would want the case to be tried in front of a judge who is above reproach. She is not above reproach. Now, why isn't he worried about being reversed on appeal? Because the appeal would take place after the election, and the impact of a conviction would occur prior to the election. He wants the case tried before the election. Uh, He's in, in contradiction now to the judge in Florida who wants the case tried in May. Can't try the Florida case in May. And then this case in, what, July, August, September, maybe, maybe October, the days before the election. No, the last thing he wants is for the trial to occur after the election. And if an appeal occurs after the election and and the conviction is reversed, it it will have no impact um, uh, on the election. But if, in fact, um, he's acquitted, uh, it could have a, a major impact on the election, And the chances of him having a fair trial are much greater in Palm Beach County where the Florida case is going to be tried. And in um, Virginia, um, it could be Southern Virginia, which is a very purple area. uh, Or it could be Northern Virginia, which is a more democratic area. But anything is fairer than the District of Columbia. And so if the prosecution has a strong case They shouldn't be concerned about where it's brought. They indeed should be happy to have it brought in front of a fair judge.
0: So it's obvious to everybody. uh, Ted Cruz talked about it, Dershowitz, anybody that's fair-minded and uh, that this is a political witch hunt. It is a persecution of political opposition. These are things that happen in Banana Republic's authoritarian, authoritarian governments like China and the Soviet Union, Uh, And it is really disturbing, uh, to put it mildly, that this stuff is happening in the United States. But they don't care. That's the thing you have to be aware of. The left in this country don't care. They don't care how it looks. They don't care if it's legal. They don't care if it will be overturned later. They just don't care. All they care about is what their program is, what they want at the end of the day, which is power and control. And they'll do anything they have to to achieve the goal, and that's the problem. The right and the Republicans in this country do not fight the same battle. They do not fight fair. They use lawfare. Uh, they use uh, all kinds of political coercion, uh, and 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 that's what they're using against Trump and other conservatives. Now, Trump uh, was uh, in New Hampshire this week. I believe it was Tuesday afternoon. Uh, there's supporters in the crowd, and he's talking about veterans. I mean, it's amazing. He's still filling these these stadiums and arenas. It's, it's just people stood in line in pouring rain. Thousands stood in line to attend. It's, it's quite remarkable politically. Uh, and this is the guy that's being indicted every day. So uh, after speaking about his record and proposals for veteran care, uh, Trump covered other topics. Uh, and eventually the subject of his persecution uh, by the Biden administration came up. And this is what he had to say. Now, warnings to those who are easily offended by... This is a a mild cursing that goes on here. Um, So if you're easily offended, uh, maybe you don't want to listen to this, but uh, I want to play it because it's important uh, how he feels and how his supporters feel about what's going on.
1: Out in my corrupt political opponent... Crooked Joe Biden put me on trial during an election campaign that I'm winning by a lot, but forcing me nevertheless to spend time and money away from the campaign trail in order to fight bogus, made-up accusations and charges. That's what they're doing. I'm sorry, I won't be able to go to Iowa today. I won't be able to go to New Hampshire today because I'm sitting in a courtroom on bullshit because his attorney general charged me with something.
0: So uh, apparently the MAGA army has had enough. looks like Donald Trump uh, is pretty exacerbated. How would you like to be him? From the day he came down the escalator, it's been nonstop attack. And that tells you something. It tells you how much the deep state hates an outsider coming in and trying to clean up the mess that is Washington, D.C. And uh, they better be very careful because you're going to have a lot of independents, I think, and a lot of Democrats that aren't left wing, woke, crazy, gender craziness people uh, are going to vote for Trump. I I think so. And, you know, they're saying now they want Trump to be the candidate because he's so easy to beat. Uh, I don't think so. But we'll see. But uh, barring something crazy and unusual, Trump will be the Republican candidate for president. I don't think we're sure who the Democratic uh, candidate's going to be because who knows what the story is with Biden. Uh, Will he just resign because the corruption noose around his neck is just getting too tight? Uh, Or maybe he just tries to save Hunter and himself. I saw somebody on um, Fox Business this morning uh, conjecturing that what if uh, Biden just uh, 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 pardons uh, Trump in return, uh, they agree not to press charges against the Bidens? I would be totally against that, actually, because why should they get away with bribery and tens of millions of dollars and evading tax on all that and get to walk away from it? When Trump did nothing wrong, uh, I don't think that's a good trade-off. I don't want to go for it. But people are fed up. They're fed up with what's going on in the government, and uh, uh, the silent majority is starting to raise its head. And we'll see how it plays itself out. All right, I went a lot longer than I expected to. I I started this broadcast thinking I would go 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and here we are almost an hour and a half on our midweek podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember to join me Sunday where we have a podcast that's just going to be a little longer than this one. Uh, It's uploaded by 9 a.m., our midweek podcast, uploaded at 4 in the afternoon on Wednesday. If you want to get in touch with me during the week, uh, just uh, give me an email, lou at thefinancialphysician.com lou at the financialphysician.com And uh, as always, I offer a no obligation uh, financial review and consultation in my office in Tom Jura. If you're not local and you want to do a phone conversation, I'm also available for that. Just call my office at 732-905-8100, 732-905-8100. Have a good rest of your week. Join me Sunday for the next edition of the Financial Physician Podcast.